Welcome to the Rock Podcast. Sometimes everyone feels overwhelmed. Here in 2 Kings chapter 6, Elisha's servant panics when he discovers the city is surrounded by troops sent to capture both him and his master. Elisha, however, remains calm and worry-free because he could see through the eyes of faith that actually his opponents were the ones outnumbered. Let's join Pastor Ross now with an encouraging message entitled, Open Our Eyes, Lord. All righty, good evening, everybody. Let's get started. We're going to be headed to 2 Kings chapter 6, where we're picking up at verse 8. We stopped after seven verses there last time. And so, Calvary chapels, we like to go verse by verse, chapter by chapter. And we started at Genesis 1 and verse 1, and we have made it to 2 Kings. That is for our Wednesday night studies. And so let's go to the Lord, ask him for his blessing. Now, Heavenly Father, we, we just have your word before us. We know that it's uh, spiritually discerned. That is, we need the help of the Holy Spirit to understand, uh, to translate these truths from your heart to ours. We pray, Lord, that we would cooperate with that process by being uh, helpful with the Holy Spirit and just yield our will to your good will. That's where the blessing is always at. In Christ's name, amen. Now, Israel is God's nation in a particular special way and as such enjoys special privileges and protection. You know, Genesis chapter 12 uh, One through three, when the Lord spoke to Abraham, the progenitor of the Jews, he said, I will make you into a great nation. Uh, And along with that came great blessing. And of course, God so loves the world that he gave his only son for the world. But in uh, a special way, Israel is the way that God chose to Reveal his truth and his love and his salvation through a people. And that continues on until the end days and into the life to come. Now, that said, it's very interesting to hear all the reports of supernatural interventions going on with the current conflict uh, with Hamas. And I I shared a little bit of that. I'm going to read to you an article that I came across uh, yesterday. More claims of divine intervention are being reported in the ongoing conflict between Israel and Hamas. With an operator of Israel's Iron Dome missile defense system saying that he personally witnessed, quote, the hand of God diverting an incoming rocket out of harm's way. Israel Today translated a report from a Hebrew language news site which noted the Iron Dome battery failed three times to intercept an incoming rocket headed toward Tel Aviv last week. And here's how the story goes. The commander recalled, a missile was fired from Gaza. Iron Dome precisely calculated its trajectory, 
we know where these missiles are going to land down to a radius of 200 meters. And this particular missile was going to hit either the Azrieli Towers or Kirya, Israel's equivalent of, to the uh, Pentagon, or a central Tel Aviv uh, railway, railway station. Hundreds could have died. So it goes on to say, we fired the first interceptor, it missed. Second interceptor, it missed. This is very rare. I was in shock. At this point, we had just four seconds until the missile landed. We had already notified emergency services to, to converge on the target location and had warned of a mass casualty incident. Suddenly, Iron Dome which calculates wind speeds, among other things, shows a major wind coming from the east, a strong wind that sends the missile into the sea. We are, we are all stunned. I stood up and shouted, there is a God. <laughs> that awesome? And uh, last sentence here. I, I witnessed this miracle with my own eyes. Uh, it was not told or reported to me I saw the hand of God send that missile into the sea, says this man. Now, uh, this was on top of the article that appeared that caught world, uh, world headlines uh, from the Jewish Telegraph uh, there. It says, there God changes the path of our rockets in midair, said a terrorist. So a reporter asked a terrorist, You're firing hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of rockets and they don't seem to be doing that much damage. And he answered, that is because their God changes the path of our rockets in midair. And that is from the lips of somebody shooting the rockets and observing why are the rockets going that way when we're shooting them that way. Well, Israel has a secret Weapon, And people have long recognized this. Going back, thank you for the picture there. Uh, when God parted the Red Sea back in the days when he was busting his people out of Egypt, you know, right at the very beginning, 1,500 years before Jesus appeared, uh, during that whole incident, in the middle of the Red Sea, now parted, he jammed, and I'm reading from the scriptures in Exodus 14, God jams the wheels of their chariots so that they had difficulty driving the Egyptians. And the Egyptians said, let's get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. That's Exodus chapter 14 and verse 25. So it was started 1,500 years before Christ. And it's going on this afternoon where people are saying, ah, that rocket should have done more damage. But this wind came out of nowhere. And so this is a not a recent phenomenon. The nation has had God's supernatural help for a long time. And so verse 8, we're going to see another incident. Now the king of Aram, which is modern-day Syria, so we'll just call Aram and Arameans Syrians from now on. Now, the king of Syria was at war with Israel. After conferring with his officers, he said, 
I will set up my camp in such and such a place. The man of God sent word to the king of Israel, beware of passing that place because the Syrians are going down there. So the king of Israel checked on the place indicated by the man of God. Time and again, Elisha warns the king so that he was on his guard in such places. This enraged the king of Syria. He summoned his officers and demanded of them, Will you not tell me which of us is on the side of the king of Israel? None of us, my lord the king, said one of the officers, but Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. All right, let's pause there. Number one, advantage Israel. All right, now, of course, it's not the prophet that's helping Israel survive uh, the latest attack of the enemy, uh, Syria. It's God. And and God is using uh, Elisha. You know, God is spying on behalf of Israel. Here, uh, holy espionage, if you will. And what an awesome, awesome demonstration of God's grace and mercy. You know why? Israel's not walking with God at the moment. The king is corrupt. The king is worshiping false gods. And so is the entire nation. They're they're apostates. They've turned their back on God. And God is yet showing them faithfulness and kindness and love. Because God's promise to Israel is unilateral. That means only one side of the contract one side has to keep the promise and that's god he made the promise you know he he said you know the moon will drop out of the sky before israel will ever cease to be a nation before me that's in jeremiah chapter 31 and verse 36 he does not treat us uh, according to our sins or repay us according to our iniquities, Psalm 103 and verse 10. Elisha didn't support the wicked kings of Israel, uh, but he was still pro-Israel. So when the Lord put it on his heart to be of help to Israel, even though he had to deliver this to an unfaithful king who's snubbing the Lord, <laughs> he's still you know, better to have an unfaithful Israel that's sovereign than an unfaithful Israel subjugated to Syria, a foreign army. And so Elisha doesn't have a problem obeying the Lord and going to this godless king. And, you know, it's just amazing that God will show Israel uh, his kindness. And he, you know, and it's just not Israel he does that for. He does that for the church. He He told us the gates of hell will not overcome the church you know, and, and we are more than conquerors. I mean, he looks out after us, and it's not based on our faithfulness to him because we're always wandering. We're always falling short. But God remains faithful. When we are faithless, he remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. That's a quote from Second Timothy. When we are faithless, when we have our little seasons where we turn our back on him, he's got our backs. 
even when our backs are turned on him. This is the kind of God that we serve. He's a good God. You might be thinking, well, my life is a mess right now. But, you know, you're his mess. You you belong to him. And he's going to see you through. Listen to me. He that started a good work in you will be faithful to continue it until that last day. That's his word to you. But, 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 stop with the buts. He made a promise to you. Cooperate. It'll go a lot better. Amen? (laughs) He's going to get his way. (laughs) One way or the other. Let's let it be the easy way. Amen? So, we see time and again, getting to our text, the Israelite king and his forces are now kept safe from the Syrian ambushes. Now, the Syrian king is mystified. Um, He's not as enlightened as the Egyptians of old were or his contemporary uh, terrorist counterpart even last week, where they recognized, hey, their God's fighting for them. The Syrian king, he can't figure it out. Uh, How on earth... Can Israel keep eluding our uh, traps? Someone must be tipping them off. We have a traitor among us. No, you don't have a traitor among you. They have a God among them. All right, verse 11, he was right. Someone was on the side of Israel. And that someone happens to be the God of the universe. So uh, uh, he, he concluded rightly. They have to have been given help and this information and that was just his wrong conclusion about who it was who was providing that information. So he calls in the officers and he says, who is it? Which one of you? Which one of you secretly loves the Jews? All right. Well, one of them pipes up. says, boss, word is that Elisha, the prophet, that man of God, tells the king our every move. Before we even get there, they already know where we're going. In fact, he's even bugged your bedroom, king. All right? And then verse 13. Go find out where he is, the king ordered, so I can send men and capture him. The report comes back. He's in Dothan. Then he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. They went by night surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God, Elisha, got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, Oh, Lord, open his eyes so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. What a beautiful, beautiful passage. One of my favorites of the Old Testament. So, number one, advantage Israel. Number two, disadvantage Syria. All right. So, like most who decide to fight against God... The king is not the brightest bulb in the bunch, all right? Because there is no wisdom, there is no insight, no plan that can succeed against the Lord, as the, as the Proverbs say. Now, think about it. 
If Elisha knows your every move and is privy to every word you speak privately, wouldn't it stand to reason that he'll be hard to sneak up upon? Right. Now we'll go catch him. Well, this is the guy who's telling Israel every move you're going to make before you even make the move. Well, let's go get him. Okay. Yeah, good luck, king. All right, so he, he embarks on a fool's errand, you know. So instead of, listen, always, they see a little bit of the hand of God, something supernatural that points to God's intervention. And instead of surrendering to God, they want to go after the messenger. You see, that's kind of a current theme. So he says, go out and find out where he hangs out. So he sends out a reconnaissance team, verse 13. And by the way, uh, the king of Syria knows he can't ask help from his God. His God has eyes but cannot see. It's made of wood, you see. So he, he has no help. So he has to go and get a team here. Uh, so the team returns and says, hey, we got him. We got a location, boss. Elisha's in two wells. Dothan means in Hebrew, two wells. And if you go to Dothan today, guess what? You can find the two wells. Uh, oh, well. Uh, all right, never mind. Water you have to be like that for. <laughs> That's deep. Thank you. Don't start, Amanda, because we could go for five minutes like that, couldn't we? All right. I'm waiting. (laughs) All right. The Syrian king sends horses and chariots, a quote in your verse, strong military force to surround Dothan by cover of night because you've got to sneak up on this prophet, you know. We'll we'll teach uh, Spy Daddy a lesson or two, all right? So I don't know why I call him Spy Spy Daddy. (laughs) Whatever. The next day, now, okay, so they're surrounded. The next day, the sun's up. The roosters are crowing. Elisha slept like a baby as the army got into place. He's ready for some good Middle Eastern coffee. So Elisha's servant, you know, crazy Gehazi, he's been replaced, right? So we got a new servant, and he's out probably at the well, and he looks up and he sees Oive, the city, is surrounded by Syrian uh, chariots. What are we going to do? He's panicked. We're surrounded. Now, I imagine Elisha, kind of a peaceful smile as he continues doing whatever he's doing while the servant is having a panic attack. You know, so he looks back at the paper or whatever he's doing or eating his breakfast, and he says, don't be afraid. So matter-of-factly, hey, chill, man. It's okay. No, maybe you're not listening to me. There's chariots and spears, and I saw swords, and they're surrounded us. And he says, hey, it's okay. You know, we have them outnumbered. So he looks around, and he goes, okay, we're one, two, and a cup of water. Okay, three, no. Okay, so what are we going to do here? No, um, Elisha says, Lord, open his eyes so that he can see He's mystified again. I am seeing, and I'll tell you exactly what I see. I see you and me and them. That's what I see. I am seeing. I have open eyes. 
What are you saying, open your eyes for? And then it happens. The Holy Spirit enables him to see what's real. And what was real was that there were more on Elisha's side than on the side of the Syrians. Now, you know, I find it very interesting that he, Elisha doesn't try to convince him of what he sees. The servant, hey, calm down. Let me tell you, I see this. I see God's forces. I see strength. I see God's promises. I see all of this. The servant has to see for himself. It has to be God opening his heart and his eyes. And you know what that helps me? It helps me to use less words and more prayer, less angst and less trying to convince somebody to see something that they can't see and more prayer knowing that they can't, they won't be ministered to by something that I'm convinced of that I can see so clearly. God has to open their eyes and he, in order for him to enjoy the benefit of the truth before him, has to have a personal experience himself. That God opens, uh, God opens his eyes, you see. I like what G. Campbell Morgan said about this verse. He said, faith is never the imagining of unreal things. It is the grip of things which cannot be demonstrated to the senses, but which are real. The chariots of horses and fire were actually there. And so the Lord opens the servant's eyes. Now, God is called the Lord of hosts uh, 261 times in the Old Testament. In Hebrew, it's Lord in all caps when you see that in English. And then in Hebrew, it says Sabaoth, which in Hebrew means armies. So the Lord of armies is shortened to Lord of hosts. The host means the hosts of heaven, do you see? And so the hills are ablaze with the God of angels' uh, armies, as we sing about. And, and the, uh, the hills uh, show these uh, reinforcements from heaven. And uh, as the skies one day will light up, with these armies. In Revelation 19, Armageddon ends with a big bang. <laughs> and uh, he appears. The church is taken away. There's a resettling. Nobody knows how long that is. The tribulation does not start until uh, the lawless one, the beast, the Antichrist, signs a treaty with Israel. That's when the clock starts. Seven years after that treaty, 1260 days from when, when the Antichrist said, goes into the temple there on the mount, there'll be a makeshift temple of sorts. He'll go in and proclaim himself to be God. 1260 days from that day, he appears. And Revelation 19 says he has blazing fire in his eyes, crowns on his head, he is called the Word of God. He is on a white horse, and he has heaven's armies following him. You see, he is the Lord of hosts. And so the Lord of hosts doesn't mind dispatching these hosts of heaven 
on our behalf, and he did so for Elisha that um, morning. Now, one writer said, the spiritually mature believers who through discipline and experience have learned to look past the visible circumstances to the unseen, yet very real ways God is at work for their good is the only ones, the ones who enjoy God's peace in the midst of adversity. In other words, it's only those who can look past the visible trouble and to God's promises that enjoy peace. If you can't do that, all you see is the wind and the waves and you sink like Peter because you can't see Jesus' face. You've taken your gaze off spiritual things and put them on the problem and you'll never have peace. You'll never have peace if you're looking at the problem. Yes, of course we have to look at the problem. We have to deal with the problem. But past Goliath and Goliath's taunting David, just a teenager filled with faith, can look past this beast in front of him that threatens to to kill him and said, you come at me. I see what you're coming at me with. Your javelin, your spear, and your your weaponry. But, But I see past that to the Lord of the God of heaven's armies whom this day you have defied. You see, David could look past Goliath. Yeah, of course, you've got to see Goliath. But who's behind Goliath? The God who made heaven and earth, who David can not fear. You see, we need to be more like that. The hills are ablaze today. The angels are guarding you now. God's surrounding you this moment. Look past the threat. And see the promises. And watch the fear give way to peace. Do you see that tonight? Or do you need your eyes opened? Those who are with us are more than these who are with them. And whether you do or don't see. It doesn't change the fact that they're still there. All right, that's nice, but here they come, you might be thinking. Verse 18. (laughs) Verse 18. Let's finish up. Now, as the enemy came down toward them, Elisha prayed to the Lord, strike these people with blindness. So he struck them with blindness, as Elisha had asked. Elisha told them, this is not the road, and this is not the city. Follow me, you guys, and I'll lead you to the man you're looking for. And, and he led them to Samaria. Now, at, that's the palace. He took them into a, a walled city and shut the doors behind them and brought them straight to the king of Israel. All right. Verse 20. After they entered the city, Elisha said, Lord, open the eyes of these men so that they can see. Then the Lord opened their eyes and they looked and there they were inside Samaria. When the king of Israel saw them, he he asked Elisha, shall I kill them, my father? Shall I kill them? Do not kill them, he answered. Would you kill men you have captured with your own sword or bow? Set food and water before them so that they may eat and drink and then go back to their master. So he prepared a great 
feast for them. And after they had finished eating and drinking, he sent them away and they returned to their master. So the bands from Syria stopped raiding Israel's territory. I love this story. It's my favorite one in the Bible, you know, tonight. Now, number three, killing bad guys with kindness. All right, that's the title of this point. Now, an interesting prophetic truth here, I hope you see it. Uh, It's about believers and unbelievers in general. God's people are really defined by their ability to see. You know, I once was blind, but now I see. That's who we are. And sight brings blessing and life. Unbelievers, however, lack that ability, willfully so, um, and they are called blind to the things of God, and that's their undoing. Now, of course, they can have the light turned on any time they just turn to Jesus, but that, of course, is the condition. Uh, So the Lord allows, here in your text, these bad guys to become physically what they are spiritually, blind. Now, apparently, it's a partial blindness because they're still able to follow. So it's a blindness that's pretty significant because it says they're blinded. They definitely can't make out details like where they are or the face, but they can see enough to follow. And so he says to them, hey, fellas, you guys, you must have taken a wrong turn somewhere. You're not from these parts, huh? Yeah, they're from Syria, right? Well, I know the guy you're looking for, man, and follow me. I'll lead you right where you need to go. And so he leads them straight into the hands of the king of Israel there in Samaria. Now, here's a graphic picture of God's enemies being humiliated. You see, they come for Elisha. Elisha then leads them into a gated city where they're surrounded by Israeli forces. Psalm 18, verse 25. To the faithful, you show yourself faithful. To the blameless, you show yourself blameless. To the pure, you show yourself pure. But to the crooked, you show yourself shrewd. You save the humble, but bring low those whose eyes are haughty. Here's, what, here's a picture of, you want to mess with me, God says to people? You want to fight against my people, fight against my messengers, try to uh, turn on me, the Lord? You know what's going to happen? I'm going to beat you at your own game. That's what this means. So you have a picture of guys who came to fight against God, to fight against Elisha and God's will and God's word. And and they're blinded and they're turned and it's a mockery. It's humiliating. and And they're led straight to the king where their eyes are opened. And friends, this is a picture. This is a terrible picture of where everybody who is opposed to God in their blindness, though they run the opposite direction and though they think they're ignoring God and want nothing to do with God, they're on their way, blinded as they are, led straight into the walled cities where the doors shut and then they open their eyes in death and what do they see? What happened here? Not that face. We've spent our time chasing down 
these Christians or are we running away from that face? How did I end up walking straight in front of the throne? I opened my eyes, bam, the heart stops, and where did they go? They're eventually going to be standing looking at the very one that they've spent a whole lifetime avoiding. It's just a picture right there. Open their eyes. Yeah, all roads do lead to God. But we decide in this life, is he going to have a smile on his face or a frown? All roads lead. They will come through the gate. They will stand there and surprise, open their eyes and see him. Oh, him. That's what happens. And that's why God says, you know what? To the crooked, I show myself shrewd. You don't even know what's happening. And you're coming straight to me. Eyes open. Time to talk. How many are you thankful that you're saved tonight? Yeah, (laughs) me too. I got scared right there myself. So they arrived there, you know. The king of Israel is impressed. And he has a temporary man crush on Elisha. Now, the reason I say that is because he hates Elisha. The king, everybody hates Elisha because he's always talking about God, right? So the king of Syria doesn't like him. The king of Israel doesn't like him either. But here he is. uh, He's witnessing this. The gates open up and and Elisha is leading these bad guys right straight to the king. And saying they're blind, they don't even know. So Israel's army comes around. The king's right there. So drawn swords. Open their eyes. And they're like, uh-oh, we're dead. <laughs> right? And what does the king say? He says, hey, boss to Elisha, my father. My father's the way to say, I am your son. I look up to you with great admiration. The king is saying to the prophet, who he doesn't even like, right? Because of what he just witnessed. Is this really happening? You bring them to me, and now we've got them? Shut the gates? They open their eyes? Wow, what a miracle. And he says, should I kill them? And he says, no. I've got something better. Why don't you kill them with kindness? Let's put on a banquet for them. Now, here we go again. You know, everybody's scratching their head. What? Okay, so, you know, he liked that idea. Now, I happened to come across the menu for that evening. I I had to look hard for it, but I found it. Okay, they served them herb-crusted prime rib, all right, first of all, with roasted root vegetables, Israeli couscous, with apple, cranberries, and thyme. Honey cake. Have you ever had honey cake from Israel? Oh, well, you need to. All right. (laughs) Date cookies. All right. Here's the point. There was a harpist playing. They brought out the big, nice dishes, silverware, a great feast. Verse 23 says, a great feast. When the king is involved, and it says, a great feast, It was a very nice shindig, all right? The Syrian's eyes. Can you imagine? I need to see this. I need to see this. I want to have the sky light up with pictures like this. 
I want to see the expression on their face. As they're served, their eyes are going to be as big as the saucers on the table. What is going on here? We should be killed. What are they doing? They're doing like psychological warfare, you know? <laughs> so, you know, so they serve them. And then, you know, they had their fill. And I said, are you guys fill, full? Yeah, you want to go home now? Okay, you can go home. The door's that way. Now, can you imagine the conversation on the way home? <laughs> what? what just happened to us? Well, of course, you've got to start with the blinding. And it was Elisha. And then the leading. And then the open the eyes. And then we're as good as dead. But no, they serve us prime rib. And then let us go free. You know what? This is quintessential. Respond in the opposite spirit. Show them who I am through loving your enemy. This is very gospel right here. This is what he expects of you, and he expects that of me. Do you, listen, you're going to meet somebody in heaven, and you're going to tell him your testimony, and he's going to say to you, I was one of the Syrians that opened my eyes. I, I thought, well, I'm dead, and instead they, they, they served me prime rib, and they took care of us, and they fed us, and they sent us on our way. And I became a believer in that kind of God because we don't have anything like that where I'm from. We kill our enemies. We don't put a spread before them and feed them and show them mercy. That's what Jesus taught us to do. One writer said, you know, oh, by the way, it says, so they stopped raiding Israel. Well, of course... Why? Why? One writer said it this way. There is nothing more powerful and life-impacting than when instead of rage and vengeance, a violated person shows love and kindness to the aggressor. Proverbs 15. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. This concept of loving your enemy really is, didn't start with Jesus in the Gospels or the New Testament. It comes from King Solomon's pen. Proverbs chapter 25. Love your enemy. If your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. If he's thirsty, give him water to drink. In doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head and the Lord will reward you. Paul borrows that line in Romans chapter 12, and Jesus elaborates that line in Matthew 5 in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, here's Jesus, you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Pray for people who've caused you pain, people you don't like. Pray for them. Wow. Wow that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. So he's nice to the bad guys. So you're saying you're his child. So you ought to be nice to bad guys too, because that's what God is like. He's nice to bad guys. He says he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. And then here's the, 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 the kicker for me. 
If you love those who love you only, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than the others? Do not even pagans do that. He's saying, my people, I want you to take it up a notch. I want you to respond in the opposite spirit. I want you to live and, and shine your light so that others may see that light and give glory to God. There's nothing more powerful than when we respond in the opposite spirit. My people are not to become as hateful and mean as the one who is aggressing. He wants us to represent him and and to show his great love. In return for hate and persecution, let there be sweet forgiveness and kindness and love. And let's treat them to a banquet. Who do you need to treat to a banquet? There are people in all of our lives that we need to treat to a banquet. I mean, not literally, but you need to find a way to bless them. It will minister to two things. One, your own heart. It will take the bitterness and the hate and the resentment. And you'll find yourself feeling differently when you act differently. You act your way into feeling. The feelings follow the actions. You act in faith, in obedience to God. God said to love them. Love them. Do something kind. The second benefit is to them. Now, heaping burning coals on their heads sounds really bad, but actually it's burning conviction. Burning conviction in their mind. What is going on here? (laughs) All right? Burning coals. That motivates them to seek God, to stop raiding Israel. It worked. The burning coals worked. The Syrian soldiers got a good dose of those hot coals, and they never raid again. All right, I've got six takeaways. All right? Six reflections, one-liners. Number one, it's smarter to surrender to God than to fight against him. Amen? Amen. Number two, even though we aren't always faithful to him, he's always faithful to us. He's got our back even when we turn ours on him. Number three, seeing past the visible trouble and to the invisible promises of God brings peace. Number four, those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And to put it in 1 John, we could say, greater is the one in you than the one who's in the world. 1 John 4, 4, right? Number five, responding in the opposite spirit is a powerful way to deal with our enemies. Showing someone love who doesn't deserve it, keeps our hearts safe and impacts them for God. And six, Israel's not the only one with a secret weapon. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we have a God in heaven who's looking out after us. Lord, you, your promise that no weapon forged against us would prevail. Lord, Lord, we know that even if we are killed, we are not to fear those who could kill the body. 
but cannot, after that, cannot do anything. But rather, we just are to fear the Lord because you're the one with all the power. So we just thank you, God, that we're safe in you. We thank you, God, for this beautiful encouragement tonight in the scriptures. We ask your blessing now in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand together. Closing song. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvertherock.org.